0: Hello everybody, Josh Brown here, back for another great episode on Franchise Euphoria. Well today's episode is brought to you by IndieFranchiseLaw.com, a leading resource in the franchise space to help you if you're considering buying a franchise, turning your business into a franchise, or growing your business through a licensing or franchise structure. So go on, check it out, IndieFranchiseLaw.com. I think you'll find a lot of valuable and free information as you continue to kind of weigh franchising and licensing and the growth of your business. Without further ado, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. On today's episode of Franchise Euphoria, I'm thrilled to welcome Kim Daly. Kim Daly has spent the last 20 years helping people achieve financial freedom by enabling them to find the perfect franchise opportunities. Her skill for matching a client's background, interests, skills, finances, and life goals to the ideal opportunity has made her a top franchise consultant in the United States. Today, we are here to pick her brain and gain some insight into what can seem to a lot of people like a daunting process deciding on what is the perfect franchise to enable you to gain financial freedom. We cover a variety of topics here today and really enjoyed this conversation uh, with Kim and, you know, all the things that a prospective franchisee should really know as they're diving in to the franchise process. Hope you enjoy this interview with Kim Daly. Hello, Kim. Welcome to Franchise Euphoria. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Josh. Thank you. Well,
0: I'm excited to have you on. Over the last several hundred episodes I've done, I've had a time or two to interview franchise uh, consultants, people who help other prospective franchisees uh, in buying franchises. And I I happen to think that it's one of the more important roles that is played with really guiding people through the process. So I'm curious, how'd you get into it?
1: Thank you, Josh. And I love that you understand the value that I bring to the process. I appreciate that. I've done this for 18 years. And the reason I do it with so much passion is because I really see that what I do offers people something that uh, I don't think they can get on their own. And it really helps them to invest in better businesses, better fits for what they're trying to achieve, uh, more comfortable investment levels, and just really opens their mind And then also part of what I offer to a candidate is a lot of coaching, just business coaching, life coaching, (laughs) um, just, you know, helping them to open their mind and think beyond the industries they think they are interested in or the things they know about in selecting the right business. So thank you for the opportunity to be here.
0: I mean, it's fascinating because, you know, we've both been in this world for a number of years. And one of the things I was actually just talking to somebody, a new client of mine this morning about this, but, you know, the whole idea is that, you know, as people and prospective franchisees are looking at different concepts, oftentimes, and importantly, so they're just looking at, okay, you know, what are the numbers? What is this show? Can I jump into this thing? Very matter of fact, which is very, very important. But at the same time, as you alluded to, and I'm, uh, and I'd love to, to get your thoughts on this. You know, there is a psychological component to buying a franchise and there's a psychology and a background and important factors that relate to, you know, who you are, what your goals are, what you're trying to get out of this. That to me, you have to start with, you know, when you're dealing with any kind of franchisee, you got to figure out, you know, what's their motivation. Do you find, because I know in my world, I find that it can just run the gamut in terms of why people are getting into franchises and the importance that 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 should be placed upon that early on in the process?
1: Oh, it's everything. Everything. So as one of the top consultants in the country, I mean, I think that's one of the things that makes me so effective at what I do. Um, I am able to help a lot of people go down this path successfully. I believe everybody who comes to me wants the outcome, but a lot of times um, their own head trash, (laughs) their preconceived notions and assumptions get in the way. And I've learned over 18 years how to help them sort of get out of their own way so they can get to their goal. But to your point, We have to begin with a clear understanding of personally, professionally, and financially, who are they, and where do they want to end up, and what do they want this business to do for them in those categories over what period of time, and the more specific they can be with me about where they want to end up then the easier it is for me to help identify the most efficient vehicle, which that's all the business is, right? That will get them from here to there. So we absolutely start with, you know, why are we here? Kind of what's motivating this. It is an investment. Um, It can be job replacement. It doesn't have to be right. Um, It can be a legacy builder for your children. But I also, when we're talking about legacy building for children, I take the kind of um, path of, listen, let the legacy that you're leaving to your kids be the conversation around the dinner table that is around the business that our family owns rather than complaining about your boss at your job that you don't like, (laughs) right? So rather than trying to make a decision for an investment in a business that has to be relevant in 10 years or 15 years when they're ready to take it over. That's too weighty of a decision to try to make today because we don't know what's going to be relevant or, you know, a vibrant business in 10 or 15 years. And so let the legacy be the uh, business ownership. We are a family that owns a business and the kids kind of growing up in and around the business and and those types of conversations that would be present in the family. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. It's sort of interesting because, you know, you hear a lot from kids who grew up in households and they'll say, oh, yeah, my mom or my dad or both of them were entrepreneurs and dealing with that lifestyle, right? I mean, it's so different than dealing with, as a kid, with parents who, you know, they go to their job, they go to their corporate job, whatever that maybe they're a teacher, maybe, you know, whatever the case may be. It's very different when you're working in an entrepreneurial venture. (laughs) There's just a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of ups and downs. Every day is not the same. You know, there's a lot of differences there. But, But also too, one of the things I always find fascinating about franchising is there's a whole lot of misconceptions about it. And I'm curious from all your years doing this and all the people you've talked to, What are a couple of the big misconceptions that you find yourself helping to explain or better explain uh, to the people you're working with?
1: Oh, Josh, that's such an amazing question for me. I don't know if you watched any of my videos prior to having me on your show, but if if anybody goes to my website, which is The Daily Coach, that's my last name, D-A-L-Y, thedailycoach.com, or even just look me up on YouTube. I have a whole library of videos on myth-busting there are so many misconceptions. And in fact, I do live events, um, about a 45 minute workshop. I do it live. I do webinars and it's called creating wealth through franchise ownership. And the first like 10, 15 minutes of it is literally just debunking the myths. And what happens is people come up to me after and they're like, oh my gosh, when you said this, it was like you were reading my mind. <laughs> and I'm Like, yeah, that's because I've been doing this for 18 years. And even though we're all different, people think exactly the same. You you know, like, so I spend time telling people what they're not owed, what they're not going to get, you know, how the fees work out in a business. So um, I think one of the biggest myths about franchising is that it, it's like this instant ATM machine, right? Like, well, it's a franchise. So as soon as I plug it in, you know, open my doors, it's going to work and I'm going to be making money. It's like, well, <laughs> it's not case. like So when you invest in a franchise and you pay that franchise fee, what I tell my people is you're buying access, right? So the franchise fee is the one-time fee and the only fee that you give to the franchisor, right? And it buys you access to the business plan, the initial training, the technology, vendors, ongoing support. But then from there, you have to invest money to build your business because that's another myth. People say, well, Well, I just gave them, you know, a $50,000 franchise fee. Kim, why are they telling me I have to go advertise? Isn't that what I just paid them to do? You know, like, and I'm like, well, no, what you paid them for was the knowledge of who the customer is, how to cost effectively reach that customer, like what's the right messaging, where to spend those marketing dollars and how many marketing dollars you have to spend in order to generate a return right? Because when we look at the statistics that 90% of small businesses fail before their fifth anniversary, that is not a statistic that's owned in franchising, right? Because every franchise will disclose their success and or failure rate in the FDD, right? So when we look at that pure startup failure rate, and you're like, wow, what the heck happens to 90% of these ideas? Like, why don't people make it? Well, research shows that Most entrepreneurs Grossly underestimate how much money and how long it's going to take to build a positively cash-flowing business. Right now, there's another myth in there because people say, "Like, how does that maid service franchise get off charging hundred and fifty thousand dollars? Like, how dare they?" <laughs> I'm like, "Well, they're not charging you hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's actually what it's going to cost to build a positively cash-flowing residential maid service business where you are not." Not carrying a vacuum into everybody's house to clean and clean their toilet, right? Where you are the CEO managing a residential maid service business. The majority of that money is, in fact, the advertising money. Now, if you were going out and creating that advertising messaging on your own and you really didn't have a clear definition of your customer, who is our client, right? Because every maid service has a little bit of a different clientele. So the franchise that's done this 300 or 400 times, they know who their customer is. They've perfected, the mar- hopefully, the marketing that targets that customer. They know where to spend that money to find the customer. And they know that it's not $10,000 a month, but it's also not $1,500 a month, right? They're giving you the number that if you're spending this amount of money on a consistent basis, it will return over a certain amount of months an expected return. And that's where during the validation process where we get to go out and interview franchisees who've already gone through that break-even period, we get to learn from those people, right? We get to validate in the real world what other people did with this plan to produce the result and how much money did they put in to get there and how long did it take them to get there. Right, Josh?
0: Well, no. I mean, I think that's super important. It's the whole idea that buying a franchise is not buying a business in a box. I mean, you have to work it. You have to know what you're doing. You have to be able to identify the market within your own community of where you're putting it, what that looks like be able to do a lot of things that you would do for a regular business but you're in partnership with the or company and it always is interesting to me with different franchise systems that I look at to sort of see where the value proposition is for the franchisee and for the Or because you know when you go into a franchise system to me as a baseline the franchisor is going to offer systems and processes and know-how and a business that you should be able to set up that's been proven over time but so often i think with franchisees there's questions that arise down the road you know okay now i've been doing this for a year or two i understand as the franchisee how the business works now what's the ongoing value of the franchisor is mm-hmm. it that they've got a great r&d team and they stay on top of technology developments they stay on top of equipment is it that You know, if it's a restaurant, are they coming up with new recipes and what are they doing from a brand perspective? I'm curious because this to me is such an important question for franchisees to consider at the outset, not just what are they getting right out of the gate, but are they going to be happy with that franchise system three years down the road?
1: Mm -hmm. It's everything. So when I explain to people what you're really buying, you're not buying a widget. You are buying people. You are buying a relationship. In fact, in my process, I equate the entire franchise investigation process to a courtship leading to a marriage (laughs) in which it's the franchisor's job to ask for your hand in marriage if you're the candidate. And when you work with me, we're going to start with a blind date. So once we've identified sort of what characteristics are most important to you in this potential relationship, then I'm going to go and do the research and bring back the potential suitors. And then I'm going to coach you through this dating process. And we have, I have a lot of fun with my candidates on it. And we're able to kind of look at the the FDD sort of as the prenup. So a lot of times people want to turn right to the legal documents and I'm like why? So again, if if you were going to get married and someone threw a prenup at you after one blind date, you'd be like It's <laughs> a good uh, analogy. I think this is a little bit out of context, right? You can't read an FDD and understand the culture of the company, the vision of the company, the momentum in the brand and that's that's what you're buying into right so to answer your question what do you how happy are you, you going to be with this relationship once you're not a baby and you know how to run the business like you've gotten the most bang for your buck out of that the startup from your franchisor it all comes back to culture so your business is only as good as it continues to remain relevant to the market Every business has to be adapting and changing and growing. So you, the franchisee, get to be focused on your day-to-day operation, but you have a team of people behind you whose job it is, and you're paying them royalty dollars to ensure that they have the money to do that, but they are ensuring the growth of this brand. As you said, they're bringing new technology, new vendors, new recipes. They're bringing new workouts, whatever it is that help you to remain relevant to your customer and even to compete as new competitors come into your space, right? A business is a living, breathing thing. It's not a thing you invest in one time, you learn it, and then you're good for the rest of your life. Look, I've been in business I was self-employed for five years before I became a franchise consultant. And I've been with Franchise now for eighteen years, and I am like part of a franchise at Franchise, right? I pay royalties. I'm supported by my corporate staff. And the reason that I am so passionate about Franchise and this role, eighteen years into it, because it's not really my personality to be like, you know, kind of like stuck in one thing, is because it's so nuanced. Every time I think, all right, I've got this thing figured out, and I've I have figured it out in some very very big ways. Well. There'll be an election, or the stock market will crash and everybody will lose their 401k, which is how most people buy a franchise, or right? Like the the real estate market changes. So, like, it's constantly changing. You never have it figured out. I'm always learning. And this is a whole nother point, but like, I think one of the the biggest things people can do as they are growing into their role of becoming a business owner is focus on personal development. Because I realize that the more I develop myself, my skills, my mindset, my abundant thinking, discipline in my thinking, the more I'm able to achieve in my business, which then in turn makes me a better coach to my candidates so they can become better business owners right from day one. So it's sort of this ripple effect. And imagine then if they start their businesses with that champion mindset and they continue to grow and develop their mindset, how that's going to help them build a culture within their company with their employees, right, which trickles to their customers. You see how it's a ripple effect all the way down. And that's the part that like a lot of people in franchising don't fully grasp when they say, well, okay, that's a really simple business. Why do I need a franchise for that? I'm like, well, you can look at almost any business and ask that question right? It's this idea that you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And the not by yourself doesn't mean you're not an entrepreneur trying to figure it out and continue to grow and develop yourself. You have to own that role. That's where those misconceptions come in about what you're owed and what you're going to get. And when people try to sue the franchisor or say that, you know, the, the franchisor didn't do right by them or they failed because of the franchisor. Now, sure, sometimes franchisors just you know don't do good things by you know and and that does happen but by and large the vast majority of people that are unhappy in the role as a franchisee it has to do in my experience it has to do with what they're not owning or what they haven't figured out how to control and it's much easier to blame somebody else than to have to like step up and actually do the work inside yourself to like Fix the problem, (laughs) and the only reason I'm even smart enough to know that is because the CEO of Franchise, who's a personal mentor to me, has shoved the mirror in my face enough times over 18 years (laughs) when my business was not doing so well, and I very quickly wanted to blame the economy or anything that didn't have to rely on me looking in the mirror. And and Mr. Jeff Elgin would say, "Well, Kim, you know, I could have you call five other consultants today who aren't experiencing that same issue." (laughs) (laughs) So perhaps (laughs) it's not exactly that, you know, and that's, that's that culture part. Like we have a culture of, we are held responsible to our goals, not looking to anybody else to make us successful. And I didn't understand how absolutely amazing this culture was until I grew up through it and now I'm able to like help other candidates look for a franchise with that same type of culture because that is the winning formula. That is, in fact, way more important to your success in a franchise than what you think you're going to get in that first year.
0: Well, and you talked about this earlier. You mentioned, you know, you help and you try to help people be able to look at opportunities so that they can build wealth through their franchise investments. How do you go about doing that? I mean, how how do you focus your efforts on really, you know, the bigger picture of them buying into a business that they can either continue to build upon with more locations or build to sell at some point?
1: Well, for me, it's just about inspiring the dream. So many people don't really understand how do you build wealth? through a franchise, especially if they're starting with the mentality of, I have to quit my job and be in on the ground floor. And for many people, that's just their personality, that that's the most comfortable place for them if they're putting their money in it, they want to be in it. But if I can inspire them from the beginning to look at systems where the average franchisee is not in on the ground floor, where you're hiring to the experience of the business, which means you don't have to come to this Opportunity with experience, um, and the average owner is only putting in maybe ten to fifteen hours a week overseeing a manager, which allows the owner then to start with a full time job or other another business. You know, having this diversified portfolio. So that's one way to think about wealth building, where the franchise is just another asset in a total portfolio. When we talk about wealth, the first thing we we do is define what does wealth mean to you, right? For many people, wealth simply can mean quality of life, because if they've been in corporate America and had to travel to make money and they've missed out on a lot of things in their family and their children's lives, the idea that they could work locally and not have to travel anymore makes them feel incredibly wealthy. So it's not always a definition of money but that's where we have to start is what does wealth mean for you for some it's passion they've worked in a business or in an industry that they hated but they kind of got stuck there because it paid them you know good money and so they just sucked it up and did it and then something happens to break that whether they get laid off or they just you know they get physically ill, or they just have this like life-changing moment where they're like, no more, <laughs> I'm not doing it anymore. And they find me in that moment. And we're able to find them a business where again, they can wake up and I can put them in an environment where they feel so happy and blessed every day and in control. That's a definition of wealth, you know, but for most people, it is the financial definition or money comes into play, right? Cause you can be super passionate about your business, but if it's not making you money, probably going to lose the passion over time. Well, it's
0: a hobby at that point, right? Yeah, it's That's not a saying. hobby. I mean, <laughs> so a, a business that doesn't make money that you'd love to do is called a hobby.
1: It's true. But so it's like, it, it's planting those seeds, Josh, of, you know, what is the definition of wealth? And then making sure that if they do have dreams to build multiple units through one franchise, that the territory availability is there. So they have that room to grow or, you know, again, Helping them see that they may only need one or two territories to build a multi million dollar business. And they will figure that out through validation with existing franchise owners um, and through guidance with the franchisor. I'm just here to kind of guide them and help them know what are the right questions to ask to figure out what that end game could look like in each particular business.
0: Well, and obviously, you know, right now we're in a, a new and unprecedented time with COVID 19 with everything that's happened in our economy yet amazingly throughout it all franchising has stayed relatively consistent through this period which is pretty amazing considering everything that's that's occurred talk to me a little bit as we finish up with our remaining you know couple minutes here what are your thoughts on covid-19 as it relates to opportunities uh in the franchise world
1: josh I think there has never been a better time to be exploring a franchise than right now. You know why? Because anybody can make a business look good when times are good, but when the world was literally shut down seemingly overnight and nobody was prepared for it, it takes unprecedented leadership and culture to get franchisees to be happy, to not be freaking out, and to then validate that to these investors who are brave enough to be looking at franchising right now, so it is the best time in history because you're going to get a raw, real-world look at what happened when nobody was prepared for what happened, and how did the franchisor respond? How did they alleviate some of the financial pressure by reducing royalties or um, helping with, you know, rent or flipping to a virtual platform? Like again, seemingly overnight. Um, So I think it's the best time. And to your point, I mean, I I was taught very early on in my franchise career that in good times and bad, franchising wins, right? So people always invest in franchise businesses. Right now, when unemployment is high, people will turn to franchising to replace their income and to find security, um, especially if they're in an industry that tends to go up and down like oil and gas or telecommunications or technology Um, in good times. People just want more of the American dream. But either way, franchising continues to grow. It's just the motivations behind why people are investing change. And for sure, we've definitely seen that. I think the people that I have helped and I had I had an amazing second quarter. It actually was like right on target with, you know, regular, my regular goals for my business, for the number of people that I helped. These are my bravest candidates ever. But what's so interesting, it was almost easier in April and May to create a buyer, a franchisee than it was in February. (laughs) So the people who came to me maybe were fewer they were braver, though, from the beginning because they were kind of stepping up, raising their hand in the middle of the crisis saying, yeah, let's do this. So there was way less fear coaching. At the end, There was, it definitely caught up to almost everybody. But when most people, when I was able to help people see that saying yes today does not impact your life tomorrow, right? For most businesses, from signing your franchise agreement to opening, there's a delay, You know, minimally, it's probably three to four months. And so it came down to having me saying to the candidate, please go ask your franchisor on average from signing to opening, how long will it take you to be open? And when, when my candidates asked that question, like they felt like dominoes, they were all like, Oh my, some of them were even like, I'm behind, you know, if they needed real estate and they saw these uh, government incentive loans, they wanted to take advantage of. They were like, I actually needed to be signing my agreement a month ago. I'm like, hold on, hold on. You know, you're spot on. You're, but it just created a sense of urgency to where people were not afraid to move forward because if the franchisor had already responded to COVID, well, how they're going to be responding as things can you know, get better and, and maybe get worse and improve, it's all now proactively driven. The reactive part is done. So they could feel confident that, okay, well, these guys were able to adapt very quickly and they're here and it's only going to turn around and get better from here, even if we come in and out of you know sheltering in place a couple more times before we're really done with this.
0: Well, so as a final question, and, and thank you so much for sharing, you know, all your experiences and knowledge and your passion uh, for it today. But, you know, one of the things that I think would be highly valuable for somebody who's out there looking for a franchise right now is, you know, what would be one of the top things that you would recommend as a first step? For somebody who's out there, and they're not quite, they know they want to do it. I mean, the typical, if I had to describe an avatar, right, you know, and it it describes a lot of people who listen to this show, are people who have been in a corporate career for a long time. They built up a nest egg. They've always had the idea, the dream of owning their own business, Um, but they've always felt more secure in their employment than they did in going out on their own, but now whether it's through a layoff, whether it's through early retirement, whatever the case may be, they're now at that moment and that itch to go do it never went away. And now they're looking. And now they're looking. What is the good first step for somebody like that to do?
1: All right. Well, this is a self serving answer. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> Because the best, I thought
0: you might say that. The, the best,
1: but yeah. yeah, the best way to learn about franchising is by doing, and I offer a free service. There's absolutely no obligation. I am going to teach you everything you need to know to become competent to say yes or no to your dream to invest in a franchise. And my promise to people is that I will have you competent and confident in your final decision within about one to two months. And this is 18 years pushing thousands of people through this process. So I know exactly what to teach you, where your head should be, how to pull out your package.